Just before Christmas, I realised that this year, 2021, marks 350 years since the building that we have at St Nick's was built. It was rebuilt in 1671, just after the Civil War, uh, in which it had been the original building had been destroyed. And of course, when you rebuild, you don't rebuild as things were. You rebuild something new and for a new season. And it's also this year, 2021, when we start the big push in fundraising to rebuild 79 Maid Marian Way. Now, often when there's a church building project, Nehemiah and Ezra are wheeled out to uh, stir the troops. Well, we're going to embark on a series on Ezra and Nehemiah, but it's not for that reason. We chose Ezra and Nehemiah because we thought this is a season in which we will have to rebuild after this amazing and extraordinary season that we've been through and, as we now see, are still in. And when you rebuild, you don't rebuild exactly the same. So let's just think about Ezra and Nehemiah. Let me just uh, give a little bit of background. These books, uh, originally one book, describe the homecoming of God's people from captivity in Babylon, where they'd been in exile, to uh, begin the task of rebuilding their life in the Promised Land. And there are three main characters. First of all, there's Zerubbabel, who leads a party of, uh, you might call them early adopters, from Babylon back into their homeland. And then comes along uh, Ezra, and Ezra's job is to rebuild the temple and to re-establish worship in Jerusalem. And then comes along Nehemiah, and Nehemiah's job is to rebuild the city and its walls. So how does this happen? How does this come about? Israel felt that they had sinned so gravely that God had rejected them and taken them, allowed them to go into exile under the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. But there was a prophet amongst them, Jeremiah, who told them that after 70 years, they would return. In fact, Jeremiah had told them, first of all, that they needed to settle in the Babylon. They needed to come to terms with the fact that they were going to be there for some time. And in chapter 29, he tells them that they are to settle in the land, they're going there to uh, raise their children, to buy houses uh, and get established. But he also said that in uh, 70 years time, they would be released. This is what he says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so you can imagine that uh, it would be quite a task for these people to move from a mindset of, okay, we're going to be here for some time, we've got to get established, we're going to build our families, build our, our careers here in Babylon, and then, oh, we're going back home. And for this to happen, God had to do something in the hearts of key people. And so at the start of Ezra, it says this, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and if uh, you're one of our Iranian brothers and sisters, you will not need to be told about Cyrus, especially if you come from Shiraz, where Cyrus is buried. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. He moved his heart. And because God was able to move Cyrus's heart, Cyrus opened the way for people to return home. But Cyrus's heart is not the only one that God moves. If you read on a little bit further, it says this, then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And again, God is moving hearts. And because God moves the hearts of these people to be the forerunners, I guess, to go and, and start to rebuild the temple, he also moves the hearts of the people who stay behind. It says this, verse 6, All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. And so they were able to set off and begin the great task of rebuilding the temple. And I think this is a great reminder that no heart is too great for God to move. Nobody is too powerful. No uh, empire is too great for God to be able to move it. And I guess for the people who went into captivity in Babylon, it, and, and they saw the great power of the Babylonian empire, it would have been inconceivable that this empire would ever fall. And yet it did very swiftly. And in comes Cyrus to take over. And now God is beginning to move their hearts as well. And you may be facing a challenge. There may be somebody who you think is, has such a domination in your life, somebody who has such power that a situation can never change, but God can change that heart. And you can start by praying for that person. And God is always wanting to change our hearts. And maybe as we go into this year, 2021, God is going to change your heart. There's going to be a stirring in your heart. And I want to encourage us as we go into this year to recognize that stirring, which is the stirring of God by his Holy Spirit, and to act on it. But there were other forces at work as well. And I don't know whether you've ever been at the uh, coast uh, and seen a riptide. A riptide is where it's very dangerous to swim because there are two conflicting currents that come uh, together. And there's a kind of riptide here in this, uh, in this book of Ezra. There is a current that comes from Cyrus, which we might call pluralism. See, Cyrus was not like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had taken Israel into captivity and he'd taken from Israel's temple all the goods and put them in the temple of his god, Marduk, because his god was greater. Well, Cyrus wasn't like that. He, he was a king who wanted to back all the horses. And so his policy was to get all the peoples of his empire to uh, establish their own religions and pray for him. The problem with pluralism, and of course we live in a pluralistic society today where tolerance is the key value. The problem with pluralism is that it makes God too small. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, became like a God in the pocket of Cyrus. 
He, he, in fact, thinks of him as a local God. Do you see what he says in verse 3? Uh, Any one of his people among you may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. He's a local God. He, he, he lives in Jerusalem. So go and build his temple there. And I think what happens in a pluralistic society is that God shrinks and he becomes too small actually to be of any help. But there's another current at work in the book of Ezra going contrary to uh, pluralism and that is a current of, well you might call it religious extremism, a kind of purity current which is typified by Ezra. So as Ezra uh, takes uh, the lead of people returning to the land to rebuild the temple. He wants the nation to be pure. They, they've been punished for their sins in Babylon and now they're retor returning to their land. And so we must be a pure nation. It's a bit like uh, when you get a new car, you know, uh, you go around polishing it and it's all pristine and you want to keep it like that forever. And your wife will tell you it's never gonna work. <laughs> and it doesn't work with us either. And very quickly, things start to fall apart. You see, uh, what happens is that uh, some people come forward and say, well, you know, we're from priestly families, we'd like to come. You read about this in chapter two of Ezra. Uh, but they don't have the right uh, uh, proof. They don't, they don't have the genealogies that prove that they are actually from priestly families. So they're not allowed to go because they, would, uh, they wouldn't be pure enough. They, they would uh, corrupt this new pure people who are going back to the land. And then when they get into the land, the people who are living around Jerusalem said, well, we'll help with the building project, but they're not allowed because they're not true Israelites. That's in chapter four. And then when the building project is, is, is well on its way, Ezra discovers that some of even the leading people uh, have intermarried with non-Jews. And so Ezra becomes a kind of ayatollah. And um, there is this uh, really strange ending in Ezra where um, th there's lots of divorces take place and all these poor women and children are disowned and, and sent away. And that you see the problem with pluralism is that our the God of pluralism is never enough. But the problem with this kind of religious zeal is that we are never enough. You know, you keep on stripping away and who's left? Who of us is good enough to be part of the people of God? And the answer, of course, is there is no one. None of us are good enough. And so, you see, God is in the business of rebuilding and he doesn't build the same. And if people had read beyond the section in uh, Jeremiah 29 when he talks about settling uh, and making a life in Babylon, they would have realized that there was something else that Jeremiah is saying. Let me, he, he talks about this several times in the later chapters of Jeremiah, but let me just read to you from Jeremiah 31. This is what he says. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when they, I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Another prophet who was prophesying at that time, Ezekiel, put it like this. I, I will take away their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. So God is in the business of rebuilding and he gives a new covenant. See, the old covenant could not be sustained because if you had a God who was truly great and truly holy, then uh, the covenant failed on human fallibility. But this covenant, this covenant is going to be different. This covenant is about a new heart, a change of heart, a change of heart so that it is not about us trying to be zealous but an overflow of the heart in obedience to God. And that can only come about through Jesus. And so in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, the writer puts it this way when he talks about the new covenant. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So as we go into this new year, this strange year, unpredictable year, a year when we hope we will be returning and rebuilding, it is a time for us to look to God to change hearts. God can change hearts. Wasn't it wonderful to hear about Christine hearing God knocking on her door and changing her heart. And God will raise up people from among us, just as he raised Ezra and Zerubbabel and uh, Nehemiah. He will stir hearts among us as well. And we need to be listening and we need to be responding. And the great thing about God is that he doesn't just repeat what he did before. He does something new. He brings in a new covenant. And I believe as we go into 2021, he will do a new thing among us. We will return, we will rebuild, but it won't be the same, it will be different. And we must not be like the people who settled in Babylon and felt that their life was so good there that they could not move on. We need to be ready to respond, to allow God to move our hearts to pick up, pack our bags and move on into the new thing that he has for us. Amen.